everyone, this is Sharon Scott. I live way up in Northern California in beautiful Weaverville, Trinity County. We are the only county that has no recorded cases of COVID-19, and we're very, very grateful for that. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, this uh, isolation has been, well, I guess you, you could say it's been kind of good for me because I've been wanting to start a book. I've been called to start a book for the past three and a half years. And I just, I, I just couldn't get it. I just, every time I sat down, I got, you know, what they call writer's block, I guess. But now, I just happened to run across a video that talked about, this is how you can write your book in 90 days. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's true. It really is true. If you sit down and decide that you're going to type for one hour a day and just type, uh, but first, you have to do some work. You have to do some planning and so forth and so on. And I, I was just overwhelmed. I've I've uh, had a couple of friends saying, you know, I'd love to do this, but it's just overwhelming. When I put out everything in front of me I want to use and on and on and on. Well, I totally get that. I'm a pastor of a small ministry, Let Go and Soar Ministries, and we videotape our messages every Wednesday. And I think I have over... I know I have over a hundred messages out there on YouTube, um, and I originally thought, okay, so if I put all these messages together, it'll be a good book. Eh, wrong. <laughs> it just was not working. So, I um, what I thought I would do in this podcast is just give bits and pieces of the preliminary draft of my book, and the book is called The Apple and the Bride. And the subtitle is, call, is, is Men and Women, Live Your Passion and Change the World. Now, what does that mean? Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that. But I'm just going to jump right in. Um, chapter 1. I don't have the foreword written. I don't have anything written. But Chapter 1 is about, it's uh, subtitled Salvation. <clears throat> and, of course, i got to clear my throat. Sorry about that, guys. Um, anyway... Before we take one step forward, I want to tell you a personal story. I'll talk about my conversion experience, if you will, but first a little background about my early family life leading up to my born-again experience. By the time I was 13, my mother had gotten pregnant for the third time by, with my stepfather. I was thoroughly disgusted with the two of them because I couldn't understand how she could have <clears throat> sex with such a disgusting person. This was the man who got so drunk he staggered and fell through our sliding glass door not once, but twice. He was an embarrassment to me. I, now, understand I was 13. Okay, that's a side note. I found out about the pregnancy through one of the students who happened to be the daughter of my stepfather's boss. I got so angry that I ran all the way home in the middle of the school day, a distance of about three miles. When I got home, I remember vividly opening the front door and seeing my mother and stepfather standing in the uh, kitchen archway. Why, they were just standing there waiting for me. I'm sure the school had called them by that time. I stood in the front doorway with my hands on my hips, and I told him that they, th I told them, excuse me, that they thoroughly disgusted me. 
that hearing something like that from a friend at school was not the way to hear such a thing. And I told them that they ought to know by now that there were always ways of preventing pregnancies. My, I'm 13. My mother proceeded to explain to me how the cat punched holes in her diaphragm. Oh, please. It took me a long time to be able to look at them or speak with them again after that. Along those notes, I also remember being absolutely traumatized to the point of being in shock when I heard noises coming from my parents' bedroom one night. It was, well, I'm going to skip through this part because I'm not sure who's listening, but I, I don't get real descriptive, but you can imagine what was going on. But I was a little kid, and my mom came down the hallway to close my door, and it just absolutely traumatized me. I was disgusted, and I felt betrayed, and and horrifyingly embarrassed. You know, by the time you're around that age, you kind of know what's going on. And by this time, I had one sister, one brother, and my mother had three boys with my stepfather, all under the age of six. By then, my sister had three children also. She was nine years older than me. No, excuse me, eight years. It was like a contest with them. Not really, but it felt like it. My sister had one, my mother had one, and this happened three times. So I was a built-in babysitter for six children under the age of six. I was not amused. My sister was a teenage mother. My brother got, remember how we used to say, got a girl pregnant. <laughs> my mother was a prescription drug addict. My stepfather was a fallen-down drunk. It was a total recipe for disaster. One day when I was a freshman in high school, about 13 and a half years old, I want to say, maybe 14, I was standing alone in what was called the quad. I really didn't know anyone, and I was depressed, and I was lonely. I hated going home. I watched as a young man walked toward me, thinking he was rather scrawny-looking, very thin, wearing black horn-rimmed glasses. That was before those were a fashion statement. <laughs> I had never seen him before, and he said to me, You don't know me, but you always look so sad. I was wondering, do you know Jesus Christ? Of course I know Jesus, I said. After all, my gram had taken me to vacation Bible school the summer after kindergarten. Let's see, yeah, yeah. That's where I learned to sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But have you received him as your savior, he asked. Well, I, I guess so, I said. He said, if you don't know for sure, then you haven't. You don't have to be so sad all the time. Jesus loves you, and he's always with you. Would you like to receive him as your Lord and Savior? I shrugged and answered, I, I guess so. He asked me to repeat a prayer, and I did. Suddenly, a euphoria I had never experienced before in my entire life overtook me. I had no real knowledge of the Holy Spirit or no real understanding of what I had just done. But that euphoria was like a dose of medicine that lasted for four days. I remember when I went home that day after school, my stepfather and mother asked me what was going on. I guess they saw a difference in me. I didn't do a lot of smiling back then normally, and suddenly I was skipping and grinning from ear to ear. I told them that I had received Jesus as my Savior. I remember them looking at each other and kind of smirking as if to say, Yeah, right. That's just a face. She'll get over it. Then the changes began. 
My stepfather was a contractor with a very filthy, foul mouth. He would swear, especially using the Lord's name in vain. And then he would look at me and apologize, saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I know that upsets you. It just made me hate him even more. I did try to forgive him with my baby Christian heart, but had no real understanding of what that meant. I became an ecstatically happy Jesus freak. That's what we used to call him, Jesus freak, uh, in 1970 I was the typical scrawny little girl with a Jesus t-shirt standing on the street corner on Greenleaf Avenue in Whittier, handing out tracts, saying, Jesus loves you. I was insanely happy. Eventually, the ecstasy wore off, or settled down deep inside of me, but I knew that my Lord never left me. No matter how bad things got, and they did, I never felt that God was distant from me. Where are you with God right now? Is he important to you? Is he someone you cry out to when things go south, or do you live your life without thinking much about him? I want to encourage you that this process, this journey you are embarking on by reading this book, won't mean anything unless you get serious about God. Don't try this without Him. It isn't as much about you as it is about Him. If you want to find out what your passion is and you want to live your life according to God's design, you need to surrender your life to Him. Or maybe you asked Jesus to be your Savior but haven't totally surrendered. You need to renew your faith. Rekindle the flame. Return to your first love. How do you do that? Well, just ask. Think about your life up to this point. Imagine it filled with unconditional love like you've never known before. Pray this prayer. Then write your own version out on the next page. Dear God, I need you in my life. I want to live a better life. I want to be a better person. I believe you created me to be a better person and to do what you created me to do. Please forgive me for trying to live without you in my life. Please be my Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your will in this world. Thank you, Lord. I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen. So, if you... Listen to that part. That is actually the first chapter of the book, and right after that I give a little page with lines in it for people to write out their prayer, uh, salvation prayer or renewal of faith. And that's the beginning of the book. Um, Once we get past that, the the chapters are, uh, the next one is exploring your faith. In other words, what do you really believe? And then we have, Finding mentors, exploring and finding your passion, asking for help. And that's chapter one. Becoming the bride is what it's called. So that's the first chapter. Uh, In my next podcast, we'll go over the second chapter. And hopefully by the end of that podcast, I'll have chapter three done. (laughs) Remember, this is very preliminary. There are going to be changes, but I just wanted to give you a little taste of what was going on. I am going to, I wasn't going to do this, but I decided I am going to read before I go on to the the next uh, section. I'm going to read part of the introduction, 
which is my story of what happened to me when I was about four years old. It's going to be hard to hear, but it will give you some insight as to who I am, what I've been through, and what God has used all of that for to bring me where I am now. So God bless you, and thanks for listening. Okay, folks, this is the part of the beginning of the book, the introduction, that I at first was not going to record, but I kind of changed my mind. Um, This is actually about me and my sister, uh, things that we went through. And like I said, it's hard to listen to. If there are children present, you may want to wait until they're not in the room. So I will just go ahead and read it out loud for you guys. She was so very small, four, maybe five years old. Like many children, she hated going to bed. She knew what happened when it got dark. Big Sister's bed was just across the room. When it was their bedtime, Big Sister turned off the light, tucked her in, and climbed into her bed. Little one, Little Sister, suddenly became stiff as a board. She clamped her feet together, squeezed her hands into fists, and covered her chest with her arms. She lay in bed with her eyes closed tightly as if anticipating something horrible. In fact, she was. Soon she could hear her sister's muffled cries and wondered what was wrong. She remained still, trying to disappear into the mattress. Soon her sister's cries stopped and she heard a shuffling sound. Oh, no, 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 she thought, too scared to speak. Then came the smell of his bad breath, the touch of his mouth on her ear, his raspy, awful whisper in her ear saying, Don't you tell anyone, or you will never see your grandma be again. He touched her again in her potty place, where no one was allowed to, and she quietly cried because it hurt. One hot summer night, when the window above her head was open, little sister laid in wait for who she called the boogeyman. Sometimes it was her mean big brother bursting out of the closet, roaring like a monster. He thought that was funny. But the real boogeyman was Daddy. She heard a different noise coming from the foot of her bed and peeked out of one eye. Ooh, what a pretty white bird, she thought, watching curiously as it quietly hovered and gently moved its wings. To her surprise, the bird spoke to her. Don't be afraid. I will never let him do that again, the bird gently told her. Then it quietly flew right past her, right through the screen, and up into the night sky. The boogeyman never did come again. She never said a word about any of this until... So that's the beginning, the the introduction of the book. It's about tragedy, and it's about horrible things that happen to more people than we possibly could know. Friends, I want to tell you that I've counseled and mentored and spoke with confidentially. I can't tell you how many people, I used to say women, but actually recently one of them was a man who have been violated one way or another this way. 
and by it, it's always by family or by close friends of the family. It's horrifying that this goes on. It's evil, but it's a part of this fallen world. So how can we take these things? How can we, how can we process them and get rid of the pain? Well, in this book, we talk about that. So I hope that you will stick with me. And as we explore chapter one, the next segment, I believe is, uh, we talked about salvation. The next segment is explore your faith. Just hang in there with me and let's just see what God does with that. Thanks so much for listening and God bless you.